listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White. Joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. And you? I'm doing great, thanks. Nice. I, uh, look, I think today's show is going to be great. Always is, but uh, what, what do you think? Nope, be- better than normal. Um, well, I, I, th- I just really... I'm excited for uh, the insight that today's guest is bringing into a, a kind of an interesting uh, kind of component of of manufacturing marketing, where you have sometimes have these conflicting zones of marketing directly to customers versus marketing to business. And uh, so, I'm, I'm, it's good to kind of unpack that B two C B two B battle a little bit, which I think we're going to be able to do today. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it as well, and our guest has a particularly interesting and unique perspective on it as well. So let's get on to it. Yeah. So joining us today is Andrew Dodonker. Andrew is the director of marketing at Ram Mounts. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Andrew. Thanks for having me, you too. I really appreciate it. Andrew, it's awesome to have you on the show. Um, let's first. Uh, I, I think once you start explaining Ram Mounts, everybody's going to go like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah." But Let's first start there. Tell us a little bit about Ram Mounts and how you ended up there, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. So Ram Mounts was founded about three decades ago, and we are a rugged manufacturer or a manufacturer of rugged mounting solutions. So we make cell phone holders, device holders, um, basically anything you can think of mounting anywhere, we do it. So that goes for a GPS or a phone on a kayak all the way to a dedicated computer or handheld PC on a forklift or a a large terminal in a military vehicle. Um, We are based in Seattle, Washington, and we manufacture almost all of our products right here. We have die cast, rubber, plastic injection, um, vibration damping and uh, testing facilities right here on site, assembly, shipping. Um, The majority of our, our manufacturing is done right here in South Park, Seattle. That's very cool. And Andrew, how did you end up? How long have you been there? I've been here for about six years. And prior to that, I was at a, a large seafood company in Oregon called Pacific Seafood for about seven years. Started as a product marketer, came over to Ram Mounts uh, in a similar position. And once our previous director of marketing left about four years ago, I took that role. I think the thing that's interesting, too, and that kind of aligns with that uh you know, made in the USA model is that your your team is largely in house as well. Um, from a from a marketing organization perspective, uh, tell us a bit about how how you've uh, the role that you've played in, in building that team and kind of what the thinking is around that model. Yeah. So uh, to your point, our entire team is in Seattle. We have no individuals anywhere else besides uh, Seattle. Um, we are a team, the marketing team is a team of 15 individuals that includes customer service. So that was kind of a strategic move that I made is to incorporate the customer service team to get the voice of the customer, the feedback, all of that about our products and, and kind of bring that into the marketing team on how we go to market, respond to, you know, product complaints, that kind of thing. Um, we do not use any agencies. We are uh, completely in-house. And the building of this team has really, it's been a result of this competing B2B versus B2C marketing strategy that we have. We have 
about 70% of our business is directly to enterprise organizations for large fleets, large rollouts of products, um, tens of thousands of units in large scale. And then the other part of our business is directly to end users from our website or retailers, Amazon resellers. And that's your, you know, dad on a kayak mounting his cell phone. Um, and so how do we have a team that is dynamic enough and versed enough in both buckets to be able to successfully bring whatever product it is to market. And you say it's a 70-30 split for Clarity? About that, but I, I do want to add a, a unique differentiator or a unique kind of comment about the, or is it, so we go to about 50 trade shows a year. And almost every interaction at our enterprise or I'll call them, you know, B2B trade shows, almost every interaction starts with hey, I have one of your mounts on my motorcycle, or hey, I have one of your mounts on my moped or boat or kayak. And then from there, the conversation goes to, but I'm here today to look for mounts for you know, my warehouse, for my forklift or for a rack or a loader or something like that. Um, so it's a really cool kind of $2 segue and a really great way for us to um, bridge that gap and start talking about the brand and new products that we have while also touching on how they use our product in kind of that consumery uh, personal space. Yeah, you hit to the uh, right to the crux of my question that was coming. I was, I was curious to what extent that consumer uh, side uh, greased the skids on the enterprise side. That's, that's uh, fantastic because, of course, when you first said it, my, my knee-jerk reaction was a lot of people would just be encouraging focus on the enterprise side. Um, but it's fascinating. So are you able to actually draw um, significant parallels and like, are, are you attributing some of those to the, the personal sale through yeah. to an enterprise? Yeah. Sale? Are you tracking that at all? Absolutely. Uh, we can talk about attribution in a second, but just kind of at the core, you know, we have a lifetime warranty on our products. And so people, they use our products and they beat them up. And if something happens to them, they get them replaced for free, no charge, shipped directly to their door. And so then when they see a, a similar product in the sense of material composition, metal, screws, nuts, bolts, they can see the form factor and the functionality of it is going to perform at the same level that they experience on whatever personal um, you know, vehicle or vessel that they have holding whatever device it was. And so it's really easy for them to kind of cross over to like a duh, that makes sense. Um, kind of thought of, yeah, I can see why you can hold my computer in my truck or my handheld PC on my forklift. Um, and then in terms of, uh, you know, kind of quantifying that, it, it's really difficult. But anecdotally, every single one of our team members who comes back from a trade show says that as the very first thing. We hire a new account manager in whatever vertical or industry space that is. And the very first thing they say is, oh my goodness, every single person that I talked to had a personal story before we got into the enterprise discussion or opportunity. It's uh, interesting to me too, to think that you, um, I, I can appreciate how difficult that would be to quantify. And I can also appreciate the desire to try and admire when you just say, you know what? We don't need to try anymore like the you know the, the bob dylan line you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows it's like we don't need to measure this anymore we know we've heard it enough yeah one quick comment too it's interesting we have a pretty robust uh, back end to our website and um individuals will come there and they'll purchase you know four or five thousand dollars worth of what is clearly 
um, going to be deployed in some type of enterprise function um, ecosystem. And then I'll click on their orders. It'll say there's four, five, six, seven orders, and I'll click on it. And then so I'll see like 20 tablet mounts with hardwire chargers for a vehicle. And then there'll be like a fishing rod holder. And I'm like, I don't think that this person's mounting a fishing rod holder in a semi truck. Um, so you can see the kind of comparison there too, which is really fun. Again, pretty hard to quantify and extrapolate, um, but uh, it's fun to see. It's a fun exercise. I want to dig into this um, B2C, B2B battle a bit. Um, oftentimes when I've that's been uh, talked about in the past, it's usually about conflict with a distribution channel and often comes down to pricing uh parity and things of that sort so let's let's skip past those easy conversations about pricing for now kind of curious what are the other conflicts that you found is it how to evolve the brand type of uh debates in a b2c versus b2b um where are the points of tension or friction between those two things yeah, I, I see two. One kind of quasi overlaps with the the kind of the easy stuff you were talking about, but I'll make it brief. Is you know a lot of these companies that are distributing or reselling our products do resell our competitors as well. So um, forget price; it's just kind of mind share. It's difficult to to get mind share with these sales reps or account managers or business development managers. I think kind of where RAM stands out and sticks out is we do an incredible job of enabling those individuals to resell our products. So we really load up their toolkit. Um, buyer's guides, PowerPoint presentations, spec sheets, sell sheets, you name catalogs. Um, we do a fantastic job of gaining that mind share by giving them the tools necessary to resell. Uh, you can forget price or margin or you know spiffs or anything like that. If I have all the tools I need to quickly and efficiently close a deal with the end user, then I'm more likely going to gravitate towards that product or that business. I already know that it's a great product backed by a lifetime warranty, has the brand name, but it's really a nice little um, leverage or catalyst rather to, to get that sold. Um, sorry, the second piece uh, of that conversation is really we have such a deep offering of products that it can be really difficult to train people on how to use that. So it's a little bit of a paradox um, against what I just said, but we do have such a wide variety of products that are so detailed and intricate that it can be difficult to get people confident enough to, to sell them. So th those are the two kind of major, major conflicts. I would think too, I mean, one of the biggest struggles that we see with manufacturers is having the bandwidth internally to actually create all of the content that they want to provide to their distribution and sales channels. Like, you know, no, nobody will ever feel like they've, they've created everything that they need to, but it sounds like part of the reason that you've built this large internal agency is to be able to handle the kind of quality and quality content requirements that uh, that your resellers need in order to be able to understand the product well enough to sell it in the way that you want them to. How much of the impetus for the creation of, of this department was as a result of wanting to serve your resellers better? I think the majority of it was that, but also um, it, 
then again, back to how complicated our products are, agencies are very nimble and they serve a lot of great functions and, and I'm not taking anything away from that. But it takes our team members on average probably a year or more to even learn what our products do. And so you can imagine attempting to get an agency integrated and involved enough to learn what is necessary to be able to effectively mar effectively market our products is exceptionally difficult. So I think that that's really the, the crux of the strategy to keep the team in-house. The second is we like to be nimble like agencies. We like to respond quickly. And a little bit of it is ego too. We've built this great team from the ground up that has a lot of skill and talent. And we all just vibe off of each other and get really excited with each other. And we have this secret sauce, I call it, that it, it, it's just really unique. I can't tell you the amount of, I would say, Fortune 10 to 50 companies that we interact with on a daily basis that weekly are saying, hey, you know, at the end of this call, can you email me the name of your marketing agency that you have? And those types of, those types of comments happen on a weekly basis. And it's a, a great little boost for the team, but it's a kind of proof in the pudding of, of how well we're executing our go-to-market strategy as a marketing team. I love, I mean, as an, as an agency owner, I must say, uh, I could easily lean into uh, a debate on uh, how fast one can get up to speed on complex offerings. But the thing I liked was that the, the acknowledgement of that, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a vibe that you've created, a team dynamic that's been created. Um, and uh, well, I think you said that part of it's ego, you want to, but, but that's, I mean, I just think it's qu quite interesting to honor the uniqueness of that. Uh, not everybody's been able to create that that attempts it often to, can be very difficult. They can often see a lot of um, a personnel change in the marketing functions that kind of restrict their ability to, to build that team and cohesion that you've been successful in doing. So I think that was a, there's some very interesting guidance uh, between the lines there. Yeah, one more quick comment I want to make just to build on that is, you know, as we talk about the difference between B2C and B2B, we've carved out our team you know, pretty equally in terms of their output and their focus on, on those two different categories. But it's nice because people who are kind of entrenched in the enterprise space from a marketing standpoint get to also dabble in the consumer space. And so they get kind of this like back and forth and kind of mind refresher and reset pretty often, which is nice. You can see it in the team if they've been focusing heavily on a, you know, an enterprise catalog or something like that for a decent amount of time. They're just like, oh man, I need I need to do something different. And we'll put them on, you know, social media, fan Friday, reposting user generated content, that kind of thing. And within a day, they're like, okay, great. I'm back. I'm ready. What do you want me to do next? And uh, I think that's it's pretty cool. Now, I hesitate to ask this question without already knowing the answer, but sometimes I guess, you know, B2B looks, it gets looked upon as a bit of the ugly stepsister to B2C uh, by what I often consider to be more ill-informed marketers. But I'm curious, have you noticed any kind of dynamic in your team that tends to prefer one over the other? I know in the example you just cited, uh, people were coming back to the B2C side to get refreshed, but I'm wondering... Does that just happen to be the example, or is that the consistency? It 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 is consistently, you know. Obviously, people gravitate towards things that they do more often and interact with more often, so they're just thinking personally. 
However, you know, the, the enterprise business really keeps the light on here. And so generally speaking, we're, I would say, more motivated to execute and to uh, deliver on those enterprise marketing solutions and collaterals and toolkits. And our sales team is looking for that and ready for it. And they're excited about it. So generally speaking, the excitement level is there. I think it's just introducing a little bit of a mix to switch it up for people and, and get them kind of re-excited about a product that they don't or can't use in their day-to-day life. Um, but if we again, that's why we divide the team. We have a B2B marketer who loves that space and doesn't go kayaking and doesn't prefer those consumer products and likes that enterprise space. And that's perfect for him. We have a product marketer who loves to get into the weeds with specs and details and measurements and listings and all of that fun stuff. And uh, he gets really excited about that. So I was going to ask, and I think you half answered this in, in your last answer, but uh, you know, how useful is the fact that you are also a consumer that you do sell direct to consumers in recruitment for the agency team? Like how, how many of them are showing up saying, you know, I love this thing on my kayak and I want to work for the company in the enterprise way. Um, I should have led with this before, but the only reason why I'm at this organization is because I had a Ram mount in my car and I was like, I'm looking for a change. I have my wife who lives in Seattle. I'm living in Oregon currently let me just look and see if Ram Mounts has a job that is close to what I'm looking for. And boom, exact title, exact title, just transferred right over. And so to, to your question, uh, I, I ask in every interview, I go, you know, obviously it's easy to get a, uh, at least a applicant, an application in nowadays with easy apply and that kind of thing. You can apply to hundreds of jobs in a day, but you took this interview today. I'm trusting that you at least did like five minutes of research and know who we are. Um, and I would say eight to nine times out of 10, everyone kind of has like at least a little bit of a Ram story. We just hired an office administrator and I asked that exact question. And she goes, actually, two of your individuals in your company came to my middle school when I was 14 years old or 13 years old and showed us about manufacturing and how cool these phone holders were. And it was right when the first iPhone got launched or something like that. And we took them home to our parents and um, here she is working in her company and resaw the two individuals that were in her classroom, you know, a decade ago or whatever it was. And it's uh, it's pretty cool to hear these Ram stories. You just ask uh, if they have a Ram story and if they don't know what that is, you just cancel the interview. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, One of the, um, I guess, curiosities that I would like to dive into further and understand its application in your marketing strategy is how you've uh, leveraged um, the creation and protection of IEP not just at the product level, but at the marketing level, because that's something that seems to me spans both your your B two C and B two B approaches to go to mar- going to market. So, help me understand that because I think it's uh, the focus and the, the emphasis seems to be quite unique. Yes, we we do have a pretty strong focus both at the engineering and product level and also the marketing level. It's one of our core competencies and something that we focus on very highly. Are heavily. And the reason for that is we are a, I don't want to say household name, but we are a well-established, well-recognized brand in the spaces that we serve. And people have learned to ask for RAM mounts and they've learned to compare 
ram mount build quality or manufacturing quality to to others and use those specific terms we want people to address our product categories and our specific products as a brand almost we don't want people to say hey i'm looking for that that ram mount that has the spring thing that holds the thing that grabs your phone that has some metal on it we want people to go hey i'm looking for a ram x grip and that also helps us for you know uh, counterfeiters that attempt to uh, mock our products or um, you know come against our products and, and create a dupe of it we can you know they can't say this is a ram x grip or they can't say like x grip or compatible with x grip that's our name and people are looking for it by name their customers have to search for looking for spring holder phone mount thing um, so that, that's a big focus for us and we've seen it, it be very effective Oftentimes, what I have found as a company goes down this path is that they're they're starting down the path as a branded house, but sometimes they get distracted, or sometimes a product brand that doesn't reference the mothership in, in, in some way takes off, and then they almost find themselves uh, like they've they've kind of stumbled into a house of brand strategy. Um, uh, that they, they didn't intend. Is that something that you're very conscious of managing and how have you approached it? Yes, we definitely have experienced that. Our attempt is to say, stay as close as possible to the core functionality of the product when coming up with trade dresses or naming conventions. We've been in a couple of scenarios where we've put something out there that we kind of overthought and it's not searchable it's not googleable it's not you you can't find it there's no real you know seo richness there there it just it's just there to your point and it hasn't necessarily hurt us but it just doesn't make sense sometimes so as we've kind of recalibrated we have i guess been more intentional about if we need to use a trade dress or a trademark and if we don't then we just simply do not do it. There's a real practicality about that that I like a lot that I think, you know, every, oftentimes you, you think, you know, every marketer is just, you know, trying to hit a home run or, or swinging for the absolute parking lot with, uh, you know, with a, a product brand or something like that. In reality, they should be thinking, you know, how that fits into the overall structure of the brands that you manage and, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of, of thinking about it from a search perspective is a bit unique as well. I like that. Yeah, the, the search pieces, I mean, I could talk about that all day long. That is very complex and, and a, a very unique facet of our go-to-market strategy, especially as we come alongside some of these major OEMs who have their own device names, device brands that we can't touch from a you know trade dress or IP standpoint. Um, but we still want to rank really well when people are searching, let's say for, you know, a Samsung Tab Active 3 mount. You know, we can't take over any of that trade dress, but we have to try to kind of piggyback on that with our own um, naming conventions and product brands that build off of, of their OEM brand and trademark and trade dress. And do so in a way that enhances the RAM mount brand. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. A couple of interesting overlapping priorities there. What would you do differently if you were starting this job today? 
That's a really good question. Probably created a greater delineation and separation between our B2C and enterprise marketing functions earlier. This is something that we've really developed in the last two years. I came into the role really focused again on things that I liked and I was interested coming in with my personal cell phone holder that I thought was really great and cool and thinking of new ways and places that I can mount it to maybe I was a little stubborn and hit some roadblocks pretty severely because I didn't really want to touch the enterprise space or didn't appreciate how valuable that that B2B and enterprise space was. So I would have probably flipped my um, the the focus level, the energy level from the start. Uh, we have that well-established consumer equity, I call it, and we needed to focus on building our enterprise equity. And I had that flipped at first, but I feel like I course corrected and, and we're in a good spot right now and on a good path, but that's what I would have done differently. It's fascinating to me. Um... It's not what I expected, to be fair, but I don't, uh, not that I know what I expected, but it wasn't that. It's very cool. It, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's easy to go where the passion is, right? And yeah. it's where your personal interest is coming into a gig. Yeah. Being able to separate that is a, you know, it's a, it's a remarkably mature thing, you know, mm. and, uh, and I think it takes some, uh, you know, I think you have to be a bit humble about uh, about recognizing that 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 may have been something that you could have done differently. But uh, you know, clearly, the way that you've structured the team since then has uh, has resolved that. I think learning the product too is uh, so. I, I literally took flashcards when I started this job in attempt to learn part numbers, product names, that kind of thing. And it, short of you know, drinking corporate Kool-Aid, you, you need to get yourself engaged in the product enough where if you don't love it, you're at least interested in it and you know it and you can speak about it. And then maybe the love will come a little bit later. And that wasn't the case for me. I, I love the product to begin with. But as we talk about maybe some of these more, uh, you know, enterprise applications that I, there's no possible way I could use in my day-to-day -day life, I really needed to learn how our end users in that space were benefiting from it in order for me to get excited about teaching people about it. And I think that's the same thing on, on my team is I, I put a huge focus on training the team in the first year because I want them to at least know enough to be dangerous, know enough to be able to speak about it passionately, even if they're not in love with the product line or the, the use case for it. And I think that that's been a, an effective little path or, or strategy, if you want to call it that, to get people excited and engaged and um, involved in that space that they may not be passionate about. I always give the analog to my team, you know, RAM mounts and mounting solutions may not be sexy to everyone. It may not be what people are thinking about at night before they go to bed. Um, just like I'm not thinking about lipstick or face lotion or beauty products, that doesn't mean that I couldn't go and be a marketer at a fashion company or a beauty product company, I just have to retool the way that I'm thinking about this product and who's using it and what benefits my brand is giving to someone who does use it and who is interested in it and it is sexy to them. And I think the added benefit, once you get to that 
place as a marketer is it allows you to do better marketing because you can approach it a lot more. You can, you can read the label from the outside, outside the jar then. You know, if you always have to be so personally invested, you can only be personally invested in so many things, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and sometimes a, a bit of the professionalism and discipline can go out the window if you're too personally invested. So it's, a, it's an interesting double edge. Andrew, as we end our time uh, together today, I wonder what's the thing that has you most either interested or concerned about where marketing's going in the next three to five years? That's a very timely uh, question. I may ruffle some feathers on this one, but I'll go ahead and say it is I, I'm a little bit concerned about some of the tools like ChatGPT and other AI and automation software that is uh, coming to fruition and is easily accessible by marketers. I have asked my team to not use uh, any of those tools. I'm a bit concerned about uh, the effect and the impact that those will have on SEO and how the major search engines are going to respond to content that is generated by AI. I have currently instructed my team and led with the strategy of maintaining true human-generated content, words, sentences, structure, all of that. I hope that's the right path to stay on, um, but I'm a little bit concerned, not necessarily on an unraveling, but on a quick progression of and response to this technology. I hope that we can slow roll it and use those types of tools to maybe enhance things that we already have in our brain and that we've already put out there authentically and personally. Uh, but I'm really skeptical and worried about using it and saying, hey, we're launching this new product. It costs this much dollars. Here's the features of it. Write me a product brief or write me a content this or this or that. Um, really concerned about how that's going to impact marketing in the next couple of years. Yeah, I feel like, uh, of course, it, AI is on the tip of every marketer's tongue, but it is either through the lens of they're concerned about keeping their job or um, how they can, uh, or, or they're looking to see how they can use it to make uh, everything that they hate go away. Yeah. Um, uh, so I appreciate uh, your lens on the matter. Uh, and because uh, uh, I, I think like a lot of, a lot of things, it's not the immediate impact that is the real, um, uh, the headline of this story. It's, um, I, I, I think as marketers, we still don't know what the, uh, what the impact of it will be. But I, uh, I really appreciate your insight into how you've aligned your team around it as well. Um, it's just uh, it's interesting to hear how others are, are navigating this challenge. Interesting one. I'm, I'm a, little, a little concerned about it, but uh, I'm also excited for its potential. I think that if we if we do it right, we can have a very impactful and innovative solution that will help us and not displace us. So, yeah. Andrew, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. It's been just lovely to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me and uh, really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.